Hello and you're very welcome to the AA Ireland podcast. I'm Anna Cullen. And I'm Paddy Common. And today we will be discussing a topic that is affecting everyone in the country, but especially people living in rural areas or lower income families. Yes, we are talking about fuel prices. AA membership comes with lots of great benefits. Breakdown service, 365 days a year, so you'll never be left stranded. Roadside rescue, we won't just tow your car, we fix 8 out of 10 at the roadside. Our personal cover means you're covered in any car, even when you're not the driver. Home start, cover when you're at home, perfect if your car has been lying idle for a while. To find out more, go to theaa.ie. So we're seeing record high fuel prices lately. The average price when this podcast was recorded stands at 177.3 cents for petrol and 167.6 cents for diesel. We haven't seen prices this high since we started recording figures back in 1991. Prices have risen by an average of 36% in the past year. And we do know that the cost of filling your car has increased by 17% in the past year. So Anna, tell me about the Twitter poll you conducted. Yes, Paddy. So in it, we asked people if fuel prices have been significantly impacting them. Out of 500 votes, 84% said yes, while 16% said no. We also asked people if they think tax should be reduced. Now, we do know that 60% of the price paid at the pumps is tax. So that's quite a lot. So out of 770 votes, 86% said it should be reduced, while 14% said no. Then we asked people if the high fuel prices made them consider using alternative transport. Out of 384 votes, 17% voted for an electric vehicle, 7% voted for public transport, 22% said walking or cycling and 54% said none of the above. So that's quite interesting. And I also caught up with Kevin McPartland, who is the Chief Executive Officer for Fuels for Ireland, and we discussed the high fuel prices. You're very welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for being with us on the AA Ireland podcast. So if you want to just start off by telling me a bit about what Fuels for Ireland does exactly. Yeah, so Fuels for Ireland, we're the the industry body that represents, as we describe it now, the liquid fuel sector, because it's not all fossil fuels, there's a lot of biofuels involved too. So that's the four core operators, the people who we all go and fill our cars up and particularly of interest to AA consumers, I'm sure, uh, but also heating oil. So we have from, there is one refinery in Ireland. So they are a member, but then we would have all of the the brand names that people will recognise from from where they go and fill their car up each, each week. Perfect. So as we know, fuel prices are at a record high, according to our figures, and they're actually the highest that we've seen since we started recording in 1991. That's quite worrying, you know, for families that are living in rural areas, families that are on a lower income. So we know that 60% of the price they pay at the pump is tax. But I want to get a breakdown of how much goes to the retailer and how much actually goes to the oil supplier apart from the government tax. As an industry association, we don't get into into pricing. It would be a breach of competition law. What I can tell you is, though, that we're also worried about the the price levels as they are at the moment. And you're right, the bulk of it is tax. So between 60 and and depending on the price of feedstock at any given time, it can go up as high as 65% of of the prices going up to government in the forms of various different taxes, levies and duties. And perhaps the best way of explaining it would be to say, if you were to go into your local garage this morning, and put 70 euros worth of diesel 
in your car or petrol in your car, and I was to walk into the same place and buy a coffee for two euro fifty, they'll make more profit on the coffee than they will have made on on the on the fuel. It's very very low margin, and you will have seen that while the you're absolutely right, the pump prices are at a record high right now. Our members, and and actually not just our members, but further up the supply chain, they have absorbed far more of the price increase than than, than people realise. So if you think that in the last twelve months the price of crude oil has tripled, tripled. And yes, we have a fairly significant price increase, which is hurting people. It's hurting businesses. It's hurting families. It's hurting our members too, because we are absorbing so much of that. We have to recognise that that this is a result of a long-held government policy. And this isn't partisan, because it's not just this government. It's previous governments over a couple of decades at least have been tied to this idea that by increasing the price of fuels and, and fossil fuels, that's, you know, it's, it's intended to be, a, or it's said to be intended to be a climate action measure, that by increasing the, the cost of these, you'll reduce demand. And it completely ignores all of the evidence to the contrary, because not only do we have record prices right now, if you were to factor out the COVID impact that's still being felt, we would have record demand. And that, the reality is, and, you know, AA members and your other listeners will will well be aware. Very few people use transport fuels for a jaunt. There's, you know, the traditional Sunday drivers of my childhood. They're just not there. If you're in a car, if you're driving somewhere, it's because you need to get there for work or for family life. So you have a purpose. Exactly. It's not discretionary spend. And what we have to recognise is that when government is saying, well, we'll keep increasing prices because we'll encourage people to move to other things, there isn't realistic options for so many people. So if you live in if you live where I live, I live in the suburbs of Dublin and the Lewis is down the road and I could walk into work and I can the cycle lanes and all that sort of thing. Whereas I live in Tipperary and I live in rural Ireland and there's no public transport, there's no cycle lanes, and everyone around me relies on their car to get around. Absolutely. So that's the contrast right there. Yeah. And and despite my funny accent, North Cork is home. <laughs> so I think of my mother in Mallow, you know, if she wants to go and visit any of her siblings. There is no bus. Well, she's in her 70s and she's not going to cycle anywhere. So people have to be realistic and say, if we are going to try and use fiscal measures to try and incentivize behavioral change, then that behavioral change has to be realistic. And it's not right now. You know, people who live in rural Ireland, and I think it's AA Research that, 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 that pointed this out, spend about two and a half times more than people in urban Ireland on average on fuel. And also you have to think about, well, what's the... What are the alternatives? Can they get EV charging? Is the is the electricity network capable of providing EV charging in in, in those spots? And, it, and it, you know we're very heavily invested in EV charging on our on our forecourts. Actually, Irish forecourts lead Europe. We have more EV charging on Irish forecourts than any other member state of Europe. And the biggest problem for us in increasing that network is actually getting the electricity to the forecourts at the appropriate levels to run ultra fast charging. So there are all these different things that we have to factor in and say, government has to recognise you can't just keep piling costs onto motorists and, for my sector also, home heating oil consumers. And two-thirds of people in rural Ireland rely on on home heating oil. You can't just keep on piling on costs and tell us that it's to try and drive them towards other things which are less harmful to the environment. And let's not beat around the bush. We are 100% committed to climate neutrality by 2050 alongside government policy. So it's not about trying to dodge any responsibility, but we have to be real about it. And and that means, you know, 
giving people options that are realistic and not penalizing people who don't have alternatives. Yeah. And I mean, people would gladly, well, I can only speak for myself, but you would gladly move away from your car if the options were there. If the public transport network was improved, if the infrastructure was there, people would use it. EVs, we do know that they reached the highest month on record last month. So, I mean, we are heading in a good direction with them, but people are still worried about this range anxiety. People are still, you know, how how far they can go. They're worried. And I feel like the consumer attitude isn't where we want it to be. But is that a lack of awareness? I'm not sure that it is, Anna, to be honest. I think uh, there may be some element of that, but, you know, like anything, there are fundamentalists, there are EV fundamentalists, and EVs are just better, you know, and, and, and they, they work for everybody. I don't think that's true. But I, I, equally, I don't think it's true that internal combustion engines are the best choice for everybody. You know, if you look at, great example, Unpost made a decision that they were going to move all of their fleet within the canals in Dublin to EVs a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now. And we welcomed it. We said that was an absolutely suitable use of that technology. You have, you know, short total journeys, but, you know, stop and start, low speed, predictable usage patterns, that all works. That's completely sensible. And and there are an awful lot of applications that EV work really well for. And a lot of my members are actually using EVs for, for company cars for a lot of their a lot of their staff. But equally, if you are somebody who has to regularly travel a few hundred kilometers in a day, as I do, I might have a meeting in, in, in Cork tomorrow morning and, and need to be back in Dublin in the afternoon. It's not as easy. And EV enthusiasts will say, and they're right, that the vast, vast, vast majority of, of journeys are completely comfortable within the range of almost any EV on the market right now. And that's right. The problem is for this small proportion of journeys that they don't work. And if I'm going to buy a new car and I'm thinking, okay, you know, twice in the last year, there has been a family emergency that has meant I have needed to get to Cork short notice. And would I be comfortable having an EV parts outside that may be at 30% of a full charge and I need to get to somebody quick? Those are the sorts of things. That's what's putting people off. So I don't think it's a lack of awareness. And I, I think it's quite patronizing sometimes when people say, well, it's just that they don't understand. Yeah, well, you're I, not aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think people do understand and yeah. have, made, have made intelligent decisions for them. I think EVs are going to become more and more suitable. I think you know, battery technology, the charging network, all of those things will improve inevitably. Also, the electricity that is used to charge them will be generated from cleaner sources. So the actual gap between an EV and a brand new Euro 6 internal combustion engine, which right now the emission difference isn't that great, but it will get better because the generation of electricity will, will improve. So all of those things are going to continue to change, but I'm just a bit fed up of kind of beating up the people who haven't made the choice to make that change yet because it doesn't work for them. And it's also electric vehicles are quite expensive for some people as well. I know there are grants in place, but you have to factor in the cost. But then if you compare that to running an internal combustion engine, if you compare the costs in the long run, it would benefit you to move to an electric vehicle. But at the minute, they mightn't be in a position to actually buy one. That's very true. And without wanting to get into a sort of a culture wars type argument on this, a lot of the people who who will say, yes, but, you know, the cost of usage will be so much lower and they'll they'll regain the extra cost that they've paid out over the next 10 years. Well, there's not many people who can afford 
to make a, a 10,000 euro investment in the knowledge that it will they'll get their return within 10 years because they don't have the 10,000 euro available to them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have to factor that stuff in as well. And there's a, there's a, there is a little bit of, I just think, a lack of reality about some of the conversations around this stuff. And, and let's be clear, as I say, I'm not trying to dodge the environmental responsibilities of the fuel companies. What, what I'm saying to you is, if we're serious about hitting carbon neutrality by 2050, we have to get beyond the gestural stuff. We have to get beyond the digital approach. It's EVs or nothing. We've been calling for the last three years, for example, for the government to increase the amount of biofuel that's put in petrol. And everybody agrees that it's going to happen. Eamon Ryan agrees it's going to happen. It's in the climate action plan. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. You know, these are the sorts of things. We have to do everything. We can't just do one thing and hope that that will solve all the problems. Well, it won't. And... I want to talk to you, you've mentioned it a few times there, about your plan for carbon neutrality by 2050. And I know that there are new types of fuels available as well. So can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So right now, already we have, and we've, you know, there's good proof of concept because right now, maybe people don't always know this, that if you fill your tank with diesel, 7% of that is actually a biofuel. And it's usually coming from used cooking oil in Ireland at the moment. At the moment, 5% of petrol is coming from ethanol. And we want to increase those levels quite quickly. But that's only a stepping stone. We, you know, we talk about a transition. A transition means there's, there's a journey to go on. And that's just the first part of it. We need definitely to increase the use of advanced synthetic and biofuels going forward. We need to be looking at how green hydrogen can be used to, to power fuel cell electric vehicles. And there's some debate about whether that would only be limited to heavy goods vehicles and 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 uh, buses and coaches or whether that might come through to private cars and who knows how, how that may that, that, that may turn out so there's a number of different routes to do this and, and and in my opinion we need to be looking at them all so if you were to go to Sweden today and pull into a to a, a forecourt in Sweden you will find a pump that will give you 100% biofuel zero carbon emission liquid fuel that you can put into your diesel Volvo or whatever people drive around Sweden. You can do that today. You could also then go and have blends that have traditional uh, fossil fuels and biofuels in them. You will have a hydrogen pump that is zero emission that's for fuel cell electric vehicles. You'll have ultra-fast car charging. That's the model that we're wanting to get here in Ireland. But by government policy being only focused on particular, you know, what the government has done is is backed particular technologies. So it has said to reduce the carbon emissions from transport, we all have to go electric. And and for heating, we all have to go to heat pumps. It's not good enough. We need to be looking at the alternatives because even if we hit the targets, even if, you you know, you were talking about the government's EV plan, so so they intend to have a million vehicles on the road by 2030. Now that target was set in 2020. Yeah. For that to happen, Every single new car that was sold in that time had to be an EV. And they also set a target in 2008 as well of having 230,000 EVs on the road by 2020. That was missed by about, I think, 200,000. Yeah. So the targets are have been missed. So they've set this new target now. But am I right in saying that they want to push everyone towards EVs, but that's not the solution that they can go towards EVs, have ultra fast charging, but they could also have their diesel or petrol cars, but just fill them with different fuel types? Is exactly. that Exactly. Yeah. So there's two elements to it. One is the 
type of vehicle that you have. So is it an EV? Is it a fuel cell electric vehicle? Or is it an internal combustion engine? Then the second thing is, what type of fuel do you put into the, the engines and or energy? Because if you're running EVs that are being charged by coal-fired power stations, they're not especially green either. So there are two elements to it, and we have ne- we've completely ignored the second element. But the other thing I would say to you is, talking about those targets, so even if we get our million vehicles on the road by 2030, right now there's 2.7 million vehicles on the road. Now, okay, the government says we're going to improve public transport, active transport, all this sort of thing. So say we do that and we, we take out a third of the vehicles, there's still going to be close to a million internal combustion engines on the road in 2030. We're saying we need to reduce the carbon emissions from those. And at the moment, government is ignoring them. So that's the sort of thing that we need to be looking at. We need to be looking at how, how can we reduce and ultimately eliminate emissions from those cars that are left. So you think Sweden, is that the top one that you think we should be following? Is there any other countries? The Scandinavian countries tend to be pretty good at this. Now, I mean, I would throw out the caveat that they're using the money that they get from exporting fossil fuels to other countries to invest in their renewable scheme, but they do have it. And it's proof of concept. It shows that it works. There are people who are driving around Sweden, Norway, in cars that are fueled by zero emission liquid fuels routinely. Okay, so that's in your plan then to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. So you mentioned there about exporting fuel. I want to talk to you about us importing fuel from the UK. Can you tell me about that process and are there any costs involved? Oh, well, I mean, there's there's huge costs involved. And it probably would be worth saying that while quite a lot of fuel does come through the UK at the moment, it might be entirely different next year. I mean... We import into Ireland both crude oil, because we have a refinery in Ireland, and about one-third of the liquid fuels that we use in Ireland are refined in Ireland. So we we do import crude oil and the bioelements that we blend with them to make make the, the road transport fuels that we use now. But we also import f- finished product. And both crude and the finished product can come from the UK, can come through the UK, so they might have left Rotterdam and drop some fuel into a terminal or refinery in the UK and then come to us. But some of it will come from North America, some of it will come from the Middle East, and it depends on what's the best market conditions at the time. And the cost of bringing the fuel here is actually part of that decision-making when when, when people are sourcing it. But um, you know, my members would have a number of very smart people who do this for a living who are looking at where is the best value that they can get for the product to bring in. And the other thing that we have to recognise is that the purchasing agreements are often six months or longer. So while we hear stories of the crude price increasing constantly, that might not be the fuel that is being in the pump right now. The fuel that is in the pump right now may have been purchased at a price that was agreed six months ago. Yeah, so does that affect... The price at the pump retailers, yeah. Absolutely. So, so if the price of a barrel of Brent crude oil, I looked at it today, it's about $92. That's quite high and that's the highest since about 2014, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. So if retailers bought the oil today, that would differ from when they bought it, let's say if it was $78 a barrel? Yeah, but there's a number of different elements. So, so you know, there's the price at which you bought the crude there's the price at which you buy the biofuels that are blended into it. There's the refining costs on any given time. Then there's what the taxation situation is. So there's fuel that will be sold today that was bought before 
changes that came in on January 1st around the biofuels obligation scheme, for example. So people seem to think that if the price of Brent goes up today, the price paid at the pump will go up tomorrow. It's not quite that way. And equally, it's not, it's not that way when they're coming down either. There tends to be a lag of at least two or three weeks before it's felt, but it will be felt for a long time. And we, we have to kind of realise what, what, what's involved here because, because we're all so used to just pulling in, sticking the nozzle into the, the tank and filling up and driving on. We don't really think this through. What we're selling is a globally fungible commodity traded all over the world. And, and if Russia decides to flex its muscles on the gas supply into Europe, that impacts the price of Brent crude straight away. Those sorts of things. So all of those things impact. So we're buying that on a global market. We're refining it to meet really high, necessarily high, completely appropriately high, very high quality standards. We're transporting it around the world or around the country in ways that meet very rigorous, again, entirely appropriate, but very rigorous health and safety conditions. They're stored in, in appropriate ways. And they put into a pump and deliver to your car. And it's still cheaper than the bottle of mineral water that's coming from a well in Limerick that you buy in the same shop. You know, a litre of fuel in one of my member shops is likely to be less than the price of a litre of a mineral water that you buy in the same shop. So we have to recognise what, what we're doing here. This is a really complex product. And there is a dynamic price. And, you know, before... Christmas there, or, or in the autumn, when prices were really flying up really quickly, you had people talking about how the, the prices were changing from one day to the next, and you even heard reports of prices changing within a day. And that was happening. But it is because it's a dynamic price. It's not like, you know, your electricity bill, where there is a unit price, and that's set for a period of time. And there's a regulator that has to come in and agree for it to be, to be raised every time. It's not like that. It's very, very dynamic. And, and you will have, there, there'll be certain service stations in this country that would have more than one delivery per day. And that might, you know, the price might change within the day. And people think that's because it's, people are trying to profiteer from it. But in actual fact, this is the most open competition there is in the country. There is no other industry that has to display the price of their products before you enter the premises. If I want to buy a Johnson Mini or Brian slice pan, I can't walk past Dunn's and see that it costs X and walk past SuperValue and see that it costs Y and make a decision based on that. In fuel, you can. And so that really keeps prices down to the very minimum. That's why those margins are so tight that I talked about earlier on. You know, the margins on fuel are really, really small. And that's the reason because the prices are up, up in lights, literally. So if we compare January 21 to January 2022, mm -hmm. there's an average of a 36% increase mm -hmm. in that year, right? So the prices are about 120 and they're about 166 now for diesel. Would it benefit the retailer more if the prices were 120 or if the prices were 166? It probably doesn't make a great deal of difference, to be really frank. First of all, let me just come back to that one, one, one point you made there. Compare January 2021 to January 2022. The price of, of crude has tripled in that time. And the price of the end product that's sold to you and me is, is up 36%. So that's one thing that we have to recognise. Also in that year, the carbon tax has increased. And, and I have no issue with the carbon tax because it's, it's one tax which is actually hypothecated and, and delivers something which is specifically intended to do. But also in that, there was changes to the biofuels obligation scheme that the 
Minister for Environment, Climate and Communications, announced with great fanfare in November and talked about the fact that by increasing biofuel obligations, it would have an impact on price. But in order to mitigate that impact, he was going to reduce excise duty by one cent and uh, what's called the NORA levy, the National Oil Reserves Agency levy, by one cent. So that biofuels obligation scheme came into effect on the 1st of January. But those reductions haven't been implemented yet. We're told that they won't come in until the 1st of April at the earliest. So yes, the price went up 36% in that time, but that's four cents straight away, which has gone to government. And also you were talking about, does the retailer benefit from the prices being higher or lower? It doesn't really make a great deal of difference. The benefactor of high prices are the government because of VAT. So the 36% price increase on fuel has meant a 36% increase in the VAT, which is collected from fuel. And we need to recognise that motorists and people who use oil to heat their homes pay about 5% of the entire national revenue. Fuels for Island members are the second highest tax collectors in this country after revenue. You know, so we have to I think be... about five billion goes to the... Yeah, exchequer. more than five, yeah. Yeah, yeah. each year on yeah. tax. So if we did switch to electric vehicles, would motors have to make up that income? That's, that's, I mean, that's a question which really hasn't been, hasn't been discussed in any great depth. And it's a smart question to ask because right now, as I say, 5% of the total national income is coming from taxes on fuels and we are subsidising... EVs. Now, those two things cannot continue to happen simultaneously for very long, because as more people buy EVs, you'll have less income from the fuel taxes and levies and duties and all the other charges, and you'll be giving out more in subsidies. So we have to work that out. Yeah, well, the income has to be made from somewhere. So I'm just wondering who will pay the price, excuse the pun, but who will? Yeah, well, I mean, there are all sorts of things that have been Discussed. You might increase the electricity tax. Electricity, lots more toll roads, you know, like you see on the constant where, you know, you pay for the number of miles that you're driving until road tax being increased massively. You know, all these different things are, are, are being considered. Or, or, or there was even, I saw one suggestion, I don't know how seriously it's being taken, but one suggestion that everybody has a, a smart device on their car which reports the number of kilometres that they drive. And your road tax is dependent on the number of kilometres that you drive. So pay per mile or per minute. Exactly, yeah. It's very interesting and we'll leave it there, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining me today on the AA Ireland podcast. Very happy to. Thanks, Anna. So, Anna, it's interesting to hear Kevin's stance and how the prices are affecting retailers. We've talked before about the potential for a fuel price cap here in Ireland, something that's currently in place in Hungary, now the fifth lowest priced in Europe. You spoke to motoring journalist Matthias Katona about the fuel price cap in Hungary. What did he have to say? That's right, Paddy. I started by asking him if a fuel price cap came about as a result of record fuel prices there. More or less, uh, the price level is the highest uh, nowadays as well. But we we have reached uh, the highest level about the end of last year because the Hungarian government introduced an official price for the fuel prices uh, in mid of November. And uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban announced a three-month expansion last Saturday. So by the plans, we will have uh, this price till the mid of May. And he had mentioned that 
In Hungary, the fuel is the fifth lowest in Europe. Now we can uh, take one liter uh, petrol or one liter diesel fuel for only 1.35 euros. So that is uh, quite low uh, if we compare it to the, to the market uh, price. Then I went on to ask him if it has helped and how has it affected petrol retailers? Have there been any benefits and could it work here? So uh, we have seen that the price is okay for the people, but if we check the providers of the fuel stations or the fuel station companies, it's uh, very tough for them. So some fuel station company had to close till now as well. And by the expectations, every second we'll have to face with very, very hard situations in the next three months. And yeah, we see that the usage level is about the same as in the previous period. Uh, Normal fuels are getting more and more popular because the national price is valid only for normal fuels, so not for premium ones. And has it reduced inflation anyway? Yes, uh, it may reduce the inflation a bit, but we have a huge inflation as well. But by the calculations, it had reduced the inflation, but uh, not with a high level. Yeah, so it has reduced inflation a little bit, as you said, but the suppliers of fuel and the retailers are actually suffering as a result of these caps, is that what you're saying? And, you know, they're, they've been extended, so they're going to continue to suffer. So have you seen any benefits then of this price cap? Yeah, people have the benefit. So we can say that uh, it, it's good for the everyday people. They can get the fuel on a lower level. So, yes, this is the benefit, I think. And maybe it's a political solution. You may know the next election will be in uh, April and we can see that as a a political gift as well. So do you think other countries could possibly follow suit like Ireland? I don't think so. For example, in November or in October, we had to face higher fuel prices in Europe as well. Last week's uh, news was that, uh, for example, Serbia introduced a national price as well, but they made a higher national price level for for the fuels, which is closer to the market price. But I don't think so. This is a good solution because companies and people will have to pay the normal price at the end of the day as well. Well, that's very interesting, Matthias. And I do thank you very much for speaking with me today. Not at all. So Anna, what was your key takeaway from that interview? You know, it's interesting to get a different perspective. Absolutely, Paddy. It's very interesting to get the side of the retailers. And it was important for me to also ask the question as to how much the retailers actually take away from the price at the pump. It was interesting to find that out for our listeners as well. And it was also interesting to get Kevin's view on different countries you know, are they leading by example? Could we follow suit? So yeah, I really enjoyed my chat with Kevin. And obviously, as I've said numerous times now, these high fuel prices are affecting everyone in this country and something needs to be done. And of course, it is in the government's remit as well to do something and possibly reduce taxes. 
Yeah, look, I, I think this is a discussion that's going to run and run. We are going to keep on top of it. We are going to keep monitoring fuel prices. And of course, we will keep asking for these reductions. Well, that's it for our discussion about fuel prices. Thanks so much to our guests, Kevin and Matthias. You will find more on this topic over on the AA blog, www.theaa.ie forward slash blog. You will, of course, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can see our car reviews on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Keep safe. Until next time, bye for now. 